This evening I'm going to preach from a verse in Isaiah 49, and it'll be verse 16. And we'll first turn here and read uh, verse 1 through 16, after which we'll sing Psalm 44a. But this is God's Word. It is not merely the Word of men. It's the Word of God, as Paul tells the Thessalonians, which is able to do its work in those who believe. Our words rendered to one another are oftentimes ineffective, but with God's word, it is effective by his spirit. And so the Lord then blessed the reading and in due time the preaching of his word. But Isaiah chapter 49, verses 1 through 16, hear God's word. Listen to me, O islands, and pay attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named me. He has made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he has concealed me. And he has also made me a select arrow. He has hidden me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will show my glory. But I said, I have toiled in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity, yet surely the justice due to me is with the Lord and my reward with my God. And now says the Lord, who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him so that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honored in the sight of the Lord and my God is my strength. He says... It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you a light of the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and its Holy One, to the despised one, to the one abhorred by the nation, to the servant of rulers, Kings will see and arise. Princes will also bow down. Because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. Thus says the Lord, In a favorable time I have answered you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. And I will keep you and give you for a covenant of the people to restore the land, to make them inherit the desolate heritages, saying to those who are bound, go forth. To those who are in darkness, show yourselves. Along the roads they will feed, and their pasture will be on all bare heights. They will not hunger or thirst, nor will the scorching heat or sun strike them down. For he who has compassion on them will lead them and will guide them to springs of water. I will make all my mountains a road, and my highways will be raised up. Behold, these will come from afar, and lo, these will come from the north and from the west, and these from the land of Sinim. Shout for joy, O heavens, and rejoice, O earth. Break forth into joyful shouting, O mountains. For the Lord has comforted his people 
and will have compassion on his afflicted. But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me, and the Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, but I will not forget you. Behold, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. And this is God's word that's read to us. As I say, we'll focus on verse 16 momentarily. But before we pray for God's blessing on his word, let's sing again Psalm 44, the A section of that psalm. And we'll stand as we sing this together, please. 44A. pray for the blessing of God on his word, and I'll read once again verse 16, but let's ask God for his grace by his spirit on his word. Father, as we have a day behind us reflecting on the things of God, and as your word has here been read from the prophet Isaiah of even our Lord Jesus Christ, of the great plan of salvation toward your people, and how he brought it forth how he completed it, how he made available for whosoever will to partake of the riches of the gospel, of salvation, of everlasting life and peace with you. Lord, at the end of this day, we may become more weary now. We pray that you'd give us strength, as it were, seeing a promised land before us, to see all the good that you have in your word. We pray that you'd give us the ability to concentrate, 
to hear, to listen, to focus, and that our richest blessing would be the comfort of the Holy Spirit, of the mercies of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so bless not only the reading, but now the preaching of your word. And all of this we ask for Christ and for his sake. Amen. Well, verse 16, once again, as I've said, Behold, the Lord says through Isaiah, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Forgetfulness is a real thing. We forget keys on our counter. We forget appointments with the doctor or with the dentist. We forget words spoken to us earlier in the day. And we forget the expected events of people from even long ago. The day, in fact, may even come when some of us here will forget the names of loved ones. We'll forget events that we've cherished our whole lives. Forgetfulness is a real thing. You might be the kind of person who writes things down because you have a weak memory. But as forgetfulness is a real thing, so then memory is an important thing. And if you're the kind of person who writes things down, maybe you know Bill Weir. Bill Weir is a good friend, a good brother in the Lord. And if you've known Bill Weir, you know that he carries a little book in his front pocket. And I asked Bill about that one day, why do you carry that? And he says, so that I can write things down. There are many things to do. There are many things I forget. And ever since that day, I don't carry a book in my pocket, but I'm ready to write things down. Thankfully, I have an iPhone that I can just type it in to the phone and do that. You may not have a notebook. You may not have an iPhone. Maybe you find yourself going to the convenient post-it note. Maybe you're the kind of person in a moment of desperation that having neither of these, you write it on your arm or on your hand. Now, maybe you think that's an extreme. However, if it's important enough, it's not extreme. And it may, in fact, be the best thing to do. It's reliable for the most part, and it's usually always there, at least for a time until we wash. In fact, it's no less than what God does with his thoughts toward his people. He writes them down. Not only does he write the thoughts, but as we look in this passage, we see that God writes down the names. This is God's great love for us as his people. Hear then again the precious words of Isaiah at verse 16. Behold, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hand. Your walls are continually before me. It's not that God lacks the proverbial post-it note or the scrap of paper. It is that he takes his relationship with you in Jesus Christ personally. He takes it most personally. Again, behold, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hand. That's about as personal a statement as it could be said. If we were to look into God's tool shed, we might say, 
we would find that his ladder speaks of heavenly access. His hammer, used throughout Scripture, speaks of absolute truth. We look further in the tool shed and we see his axe, which in Scripture speaks of decisive judgment. We look and we see his lines from this morning, Psalm 16. The lines having fallen to us in pleasant places, that speaks of measured boundaries God has set for our lives. But here in Isaiah, if we were to look into God's tool shed, we would see that he has a stylus. We look today at God's stylus. And when we do, the point of this tool in God's hands is an enduring testimony. It's his constant witness. A stylus is, I guess, an old term for a writing utensil. We might say like a pen. A stylus has a tip. It's been used since ancient times to speak in reference to pottery, to things written on wax tablets, to scratching onto stone, to etching into wood, or even to inscribe into the skin like we might think of a tattoo. Jeremiah refers to the scribe's knife, the lying pen of the scribes. When Job wanted his words to be written, inscribed in a book, he spoke of that being done with an iron stylus and lead. Some translations even say diamond-tipped, engraved in the rock forever. Now the Hebrew word for this word translated stylus, or stylus is of an uncertain origin. It seems to be related to an Arabic word, which has to do with sink or penetrate. The idea then is an implement that brings a permanent mark, a permanent etching, scratching, or inscription, in in writing, we could say, onto something, just like a pen does. But we'll refer to this as God's stylus, his scriber maybe, if you're a contractor or a carpenter. The stylus is about God's enduring testimony, his constant witness to his people. Again, behold, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. So as we look at the scriber or the stylus, we want to see three points about God's use of his stylus. The first is pain. The second is permanence. And the third, you guessed it, it begins with P. It's presence. Pain, permanence, and presence. When we look at God's stylus, we should think of the matter of pain. Isn't this somewhat obvious in light of what Isaiah has said? To scrape, to etch, to inscribe anything into your palm would of necessity involve something sharp. Something sharp. It would need to penetrate the skin, and then as soon as it does, there is pain. I'm inexperienced with tattoos. Personally, I'm disinclined toward them, but I've read from tattoo artists that the palm is a painful place to get a tattoo. There are more painful places, certainly, but one tattoo enthusiast says, Palm tattoos are not for the faint-hearted. I'll take his word for it. I'll never experience that. Of course, Isaiah is not speaking 
in reference to tattoos. He's not casting God as this master tattooist. Indeed, the law speaks of those inscriptions as cutting or marking and associates them with the pagan practices of mourning and lamentation, which people often did with no hope to come. For this reason, they were therefore forbidden under the law, and Christians throughout history have generally not been those who are marked by tattoos. Some today, I know, regard it as a matter of indifference, especially since their motives are quite different from those of the pagans of yesteryear. But my point is to note that pain is involved in any kind of etching onto the palms. It may be one painful thing to have a tattoo on your palm. It's quite another thing to give yourself your own painful inscription on your palm, to do that by yourself and to yourself. That involves pain. You would have to watch it as well as to endure it. And so this marking, this styling work, this inscription of God on his palms must then speak something of pain. Behold, God says, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Now, of course, God has not literally transcribed or inscribed his people's names on the palms of his hand. God is a spirit. He doesn't have flesh and bone, thus he has no hands. He has no palms on which to inscribe. And therefore, there is no literal inscribing in view here. As a perfect and supreme divine being, he has no feeling of pain in the sense that we physically would consider. But if he were to inscribe into the palm of his hands literally, it would be painful. So what then is the point of all this? How should we grasp pain with God's inscribing? Like this. It is therefore unnatural. It is something, could we even say, is scandalous that God would inscribe his people onto the palms of his hands. This occurs only then by grace. This is something that is unnatural. This is something that is supernatural. Is it scandalous to get a, a tattoo? Some would think so, and they will tell you so. Is it scandalous to cut or mark the skin in any pagan way? Indeed it is. And yet what greater scandal then could we say of this that God does, the holy God inscribing the names of his people onto the palms of his hands. Could we then call it the scandal of grace? Grace is something that to a sinner and to someone who's self-righteous is scandalous. Something if we were to think of the justice of God purely in what we deserve for our every sin, grace would be something shocking to think that God would be gracious to us. And so that God writes and inscribes his people onto the palms of his hand is something that should be reactionary to us. We should be in utter alarm that God would do such a thing to us in view of the pain. If you have ears to hear it, we are faced with the unnatural 
reality. The gracious scandal of the pains of the cross. This is the inscription that's in view here. What is unnatural, what is scandalous, what would seem impossible with God has become real with the very person and work of Jesus Christ. Yes, in the person of Jesus Christ, God has become man. And with the person of Jesus Christ, the Word became flesh. With Jesus Christ, there is a true suffering of all that is entailed in God having his people written on the palms of his hand. To be, could we say, a part of himself, united to him, that as Jesus said, that they all may be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us. Just as the high priest carried all the twelve tribes on his breastplate, and his heart as he went in and made atonement for them on the day of atonement. In the same way, our Lord Jesus Christ has endured the pains of the cross. He's inscribed on the palms of his hands God's own people. He has interceded and sacrificed for them by his own body at the cross. Because there, the nails marked they cut into his palms as well as his feet so that by the piercing and the enduring the pain of God's infinite wrath for us with our sins, we would be saved. We would be brought to God. He was pierced through for our transgressions. Yes, he made him who knew no sin to be a sin offering on our behalf so that we would become the righteousness of God in him. There at the cross occurred the unnatural, the scandalous, the seemingly impossible matter of pain before God so that a people known to him would be endearingly united to him as close as possibly could be. That's the pain that's entailed in this. Where is your name written down? Is it merely on important earthly things? Is it namely on the deed to your property? Is it merely on your book bag for not mixing it up with someone else at the soccer game or at school? Is our name merely written on a little rectangular thing at work on our desk. Where are our names written down? Well, are they not written in the Lamb's book of life? Are they not written down on the very palms of God's hands? Behold, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Behold, the nails that pierced my son's hand were the stylus by which I painfully inscribed you with not merely ink, but with blood, with blood. I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. We have to understand God's stylus involving pain when he has used it. This inscription leads us, as I said, to a second one, a second P that is permanence, permanence. You've probably seen names or initials that are carved into a tree. You often see these in nature centers, 
Usually it's the initials of a couple who have just committed themselves to some new relationship, some companionship. On a happy day, they go out and they walk together and they carve their name into the tree. Some of them, it's a tragedy that it didn't work out. For some, they may look back as married couples and see, wow, there are our initials. They were small several years ago, but now with the growing of the tree, look at how large those initials are now. Or take any etching into dry, drying cement or engraving on a tombstone. What's the idea behind this inscription? It's not pain. It's permanence. They want it to last. They want it to endure. And so what is inscribed is written into the object that's designing it then to endure, to last. As long as the object endures, the tree, so the hope is that the relationship too. As long as the object of God having written you as his people is on his own hands, guess how long that relationship will last? Forever. Permanence. Consider that, because God says here at verse 16, Behold, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. As a child of God, you are not inscribed merely onto the bark of trees, because the day will come when those trees will die. They will fall down. They will decay. However, your name is inscribed on the very palms of the everlasting God. That is permanence. That's permanence to be always identified with God. God who is the first and the last. God who is the beginning and the end. Christ who is the Alpha and the Omega. Our God who from everlasting to everlasting is our God. This inscription is about permanence. And this is important because this is what Israel is struggling with. They're struggling with the matter of their doubting God, failing to see that God will still be God to them, despite their unfaithfulness, their sins. Listen to them at verse 14. Zion has said, the Lord has forsaken me, and the Lord has forgotten me. Have you ever said that? Have you ever thought that? We have, even though God is clear and frequent in saying, I will never leave you or forsake you, our hearts are often weak. We think that God has abandoned us. That umpteenth sin that you've said, Lord, I will never do that again. And then you've done it. And you've repented of it. And here it is the next week. Or even years later, when you thought that sin had been dealt with, and now, lo and behold, you've committed it again. And you may think, under a right and well-founded, God-worked conviction, that God has abandoned me. But the fact of the matter is, is that that's when God has come close. And God is near. He's the permanent God. He says, I will never leave you or forsake you, and yet Israel, like us, is doubting that. Verse 14, the Lord has 
forsaken me. If that's where you are today, friends, then you have to listen further to the encouragement. And you need to be reminded of the comfort that God means to give you. It's there at the next verse in verse 15. Can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Moms, how do you answer that? Is it possible? It's not possible. It's not possible. Will she not care for her child? Will she not cuddle? Will she not play with her child? Deal tenderly, lovingly, affectionately with that child? Of course, the assumed answer is no. But we know that the sad and the sometime reality is that for some mothers it's yes. For some it is. The mother who's deemed her child an inconvenience. Have we not read news reports that have shocked us decades ago, even recently, of mothers that have done tragic things toward the death of her children. The pause in this verse, the stark reality that even these may forget is followed by the Lord's great contrast. But I will not forget you. Even if it is possible for you to reach into some shocking news bit or instance where there, this has happened, I, the Lord says, would never do such a thing. I am the God of permanence. Verse 16, Behold, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hand. With me, the Lord God, your heavenly Father, bound to you by the very blood of my Son, there is no possibility and therefore, there is no potentiality of being forsaken or forgotten by me. There is only the possibility, only the real instance of permanence with me. I'm the God who, when I, does something, when I do something, I do it forever. I mean what I do to be forever. I've sealed up all these comforts for you, and when I've inscribed your name on my palm, because I had written down your name long before in the Lamb's Book of Life, I mean it, and I will do it. And my love for you is so great that you can't undo it by your love of sin. My love is greater than your love for sin. That's our God. Behold, I have inscribed you in the palms of my hands. How incisive and penetrating. Forgetfulness is a real thing, but not with God. Not with God. Never with God. May it never be. It never will be. And so then it's incisive and it's penetrating to us as we consider God's stylus. How careful then is God's cut, both to convict us as well as to comfort us. His stylus works that way. How clear is the etch in the cement? Now maybe some of us here remember the etch-a-sketch. <laughs> the old way of deleting something was to just shake it and get rid of it. And we do our configuration of trying to get this thing worked out of these two dials to etch and sketch something. But then we'd easily just shake it and it's gone. 
There is etching with God, but there's no etching sketch. What he writes is permanent. All this becomes all the more endearing to you when you see this personal treatment of God to his son in relation to Mary. Back at the beginning of the chapter, this was laid out. Maybe you missed it. This is Old Testament, but he's preaching the gospel. Verses 1 and following deal with the incarnation of the Son of God in the womb of the Virgin Mary. You notice it there at verse 2. The Lord called me from the womb, from the inward parts of my mother, he named me. Essentially the same is said again at verse 5. There God was caring for his son, forming him in the womb of the Virgin Mary, nourishing him inside her body for the birth that would lead to his death. There was God overseeing everything of our Lord Jesus Christ in his incarnation. A woman may forsake her child, but God the Father cannot and will not forsake his son. Now that's profound. This is not just a prophecy. This is a foundation on which God means for you to take his promise seriously. This pertains to Jesus Christ. And everything he promises you and me is bound up in what God promised in the very incarnation of his son and God keeping his promise toward him. Which means he cannot and will not ever forsake any of you who believe in him for your salvation. If you have ears to hear it, the promises of God for eternal life and assurance of grace and salvation are written down with a divine sharpie, even better, inscribed in the very palms of God himself. Jesus showed that, did he not, to a doubting Thomas. Thomas is there, he's missed evening worship before. And the Lord appears to him the next week. God shows him the answer to all his doubts. Reach here your finger and feel the imprint of the wounds. See my hands and my side. God shows every despairing believer the inscription that he's provided in the Lord Jesus Christ. I wonder if that's your response. What was Thomas's response? It was utter amazement at the grace of God. My Lord and my God. He was overwhelmed with the mercy of God. Did not God himself inscribe his holy law into the tablets of stone for Moses? Does not God say that like Judah, your sin is inscribed with an iron stylus on the tablet of your heart? And yet, has he not inscribed your very name onto his palms? Did not Christ make for his people to be, as 2 Corinthians says, his letter written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God? Has he not inscribed his law onto your own hearts? Is there anything in this just summarized here in these verses that you can say, I can relate to that. I believe that. I have the fruit of that work in my own life that I should know that God's merciful inscription is true. And thus my comfort. How much more impressive and penetrating 
is the inscription of grace over the inscription of the law. It's much more. How much more will the power and the promise of God's own gracious inscription be applied to you who cry out to him in yourselves everything from sin to weakness? Will he not provide for you what he did for Thomas? Reach here and see. Don't be doubting, but believe. That's the promise offered to you in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe we've missed it. In the way God has reiterated over and over and over again. How many times do we come across our Lord saying, It is written. It is written. The law, it is written. The prophets, it is written. Are we going to come to Isaiah's words at verse 16, where God says, Behold, I've inscribed you on the palms of my hands. And not marvel that this too is written, not on parchment, but on the very palms of God. I simply say to you with the greatest clarity I can, whatever God writes for his people, he never erases. He never erases it. It lasts forever. It remains. It is written. Behold, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. That's permanence. But there's our third point that deals with the matter of presence. God's stylus being about pain, being about permanence, finally about presence. You look again at verse 16. Behold, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. He shows us the pain of the cross. He shows us the permanence we have with God. He also here shows us something of God's presence with us. And one way, as we've seen, it's that God is reassured against any possibility to the contrary. He won't forsake. He won't forget. Others may forget. Not God. God cannot forget his people ever. This is God's presence with his people. In another way, it's that Christ is constantly watching our city of Zion, the church, all its citizens. Your walls are continually before me. He sees our walls. They're not occasionally before him. He says that they're constantly before him. He is our great watchman. God is guarding us. He's protecting us. He's the one who surrounds his people, protecting them, keeping watch over Israel. He neither slumbers, nor sleeps. God is the one who stares at the walls, never blinking, never distracted, always concentrating. Again, it's all very personal. He says here, your walls are continually before me. Now we have this gesture of this. I've got eyes on you. I see you. God is constantly watching. Constantly. You might think that's a bad thing. If you're in the midst of sin, it may be a bad thing. But if you're in the midst of sin, repenting, believing on Jesus Christ, worried, bothered, harassed, troubled by your sin, my friend, that's a very good thing. 
God's looking over the walls. He's protective in those times. This is God's presence with his people. I've inscribed you on my palms, and even though you're not on my palms, the closest I get is staring at you in the walls of Zion. And still another way, an already familiar way, is God's presence with you who believe his word. I've inscribed you on the palms of my hands. God is always with you because you are always with him. That's the way it is with a parent carrying a small child. Who's with whom here? Is it that the child is with mom or dad carrying in the arms? No, it's that mom or dad is with that child carrying in the arms. It's both, but the emphasis is on the parent. God is our Heavenly Father, is one who is with us, even as we are with Him, because He is with us. It's more than a notation, this inscription. This is not something that's going to wash off. This is something that is permanent. It's more than a quick jotting down. This is God saying, I write it and I am with it, heart and soul. I am there with it. It is God always with you, and therefore you always with God. I know another man in addition to our friend. This man has tattoos all over his body. Perhaps you know someone like this too. Now this man's tattoos all over his body has his deceased mother on one part. It has his deceased brother on another section. It has the whole men that he lost in his unit in war all the way down his arm. It has many things about the hardships of his life and the family that he loves all over his body. For sure, some would indeed frown at this kind of dark artwork to some. I wonder if there's not some real point to it for him at least. And maybe something that we can fathom. He considers them with deep affection. I don't criticize that. I admire that. And it reminds me, behold, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. You're in my unit. You're dear to me. I've been with you through all your times. You belong on my body with my writing. This is the endearing thing. And I say the scandal of grace. Can we handle this? Therefore, there's need to strive toward God in any care that he would have for us. Let us not stumble over even God's use of this kind of a statement. All the heart of your trials in your Christian life, this passage may very well help you see the things that you ought to see. Behold, just look at that. Behold, does that not imply that we're some sort resistant to it? We don't want to see this kind of artwork of God having our names all over the palms of his hands. Is it too scandalous for you? What does God say? He says, behold, 
Look at this. Check this out. Would you come and see? Stop doubting, but be believing. This is the grace of God to his people. We have to see this for the glorious truth that it is in our Lord Jesus Christ in the gospel. It doesn't say here that we must remember that I have inscribed you. That's not what it says. It doesn't say learn to inscribe your name on the palms of my hands. It doesn't say that either. It says, behold, I have inscribed. I've done it. You can't do anything. I'm the one who has this love toward you. It's my love for you in the Lord Jesus Christ. Behold, what a constant, amazing word. There's another one that Jesus constantly says, behold. John writes and says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You know that there are some tools that require real serious instruction. We don't let our youngsters use certain tools in the house. There are such things as the saw with its sharpness. There is such a thing as the ladder with its tipsiness. There is such a thing as the nail gun with its force. And the same thing even with God with his stylus. It's got a sharpness to it that convicts and comforts and it has to be inscribed just so. The fact of the matter is, is that God has done this. It was for God to inscribe. It's for you and me to behold. That's our responsibility. Behold. Look what I've done for you. Look what I've provided in our Lord Jesus Christ. Forgetfulness is a real thing, but not with God. It doesn't exist with God unless it's your sins. Then he's forgotten those. God does not forget his people. God writes and so remembers you in his son. This is God's enduring testimony. It's his constant witness from his stylus. And so therefore, friend, go in the grace and the mercy and the peace of this God who has so written. What glorious penmanship. All eternity we will praise God for this inscription. Let us pray together. Our Father in heaven, it is that we're struck with the riches of your grace and your kindness to us in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we, when we were off alone in our rebellion, our sinful ways, your love for us is so great in the Lord Jesus Christ that you sent your Son to die and rise for us. You sent your Spirit to call us and draw us to him and unite us with the living God. We ask, Father, that you would give us eyes also to see this, to behold that you've inscribed us on the palms of your hand. What endearing love. Lord, help us to receive the comforts that when we're often convicted, when we doubt, when we feel unworthy as we are, but Lord, to think that your mercy is such that you'd never forsake us. As often as we would come back repenting of our sin, you will receive us. Lord, may this day, this very evening, this moment, be a moment where we return with hearts that are broken and yet hearts that are mended before a gracious God. 
Comfort us as your people. And Lord, fill our hearts with delight in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.